Hi beautiful friends, this is Claire and the Art of Life podcast and I'm really excited about talking to this subject because it's kind of been welling up in me for days and today being essentially the midpoint of the the hot part of the year, the summer solstice, I it just feels like such a, a time of a, cresting a big cosmic wave and I was feeling into like what's the right angle to come at this from. I essentially want to talk about the the question of how much pleasure we are meant to have or allowed or authorised to have in our lives. And I I kept asking the question more deeply, like what is, you know, what is our pleasure relating to our creativity and how do we unravel where we've been conditioned to be in familiar discomfort rather than pleasure and what place does pleasure or also you know the the myriad varieties of pleasure like inner peace um where where are we polemicized against our pleasure and who's authoring that who's authorizing that who has the authority to say what we spend our time at, you know, whether or not we we work in the conventional sense for a living or pay taxes through the conventional tax streams or, um, you know, these questions went on for quite a while and for a few days I've been sort of refining the question and asking more succinctly, you know, who authors my pleasure, who authors your pleasure? Are you the author of your pleasure? Are you the creator of pleasure in all the areas of your life? Or is somebody else running the show? Is somebody telling you that you shouldn't have pleasure? Or that it should be dosed out in a little pill? Or dosed out through a conventional experience? Um, and the kinds of pleasure that we experience, how, how deep do they go? Again, like... Each time I've asked a question that getting it down to the nugget of what I, the crux of what I want to ask, the fulcrum, the core of the question, it, it just seems to explode into blossom of like all these different areas where we evidently don't go there. We evidently are not living in pleasure the majority, the majority of the time. And what did, what is that taking from us like what is it taxing us f- from us and wouldn't it be better if we were all authoring as only we can only we can be the artists of our life only we can be the co-creators with the with the divine anything that isn't co-creating with the divine with the universal elements and their specific congruence is that the right word there's specific construction in natural form in each moment only we can be the channel for that action which brings us into more alignment more experience more depth of alignment more depth of experience and anything that isn't us 
authoring an expansive and expressive and creative life is essentially something lesser than that, something less than, something that is taking from us for somebody else's benefit and leaving us with less. And the complex web that I've unravelled in my own life, certainly um, a greater part of, of my unravelling, my healing, my deconstructing, my own neuroses, my creative path, a, a lot of it has been centred around literally the core of the body, but also the core of my expression, the core, like the centre the centre of my pelvis, the centre of my creative capacity, the centre of my sentience, and also the centre of my life, my domestic alchemy, my core painting practice, the pleasure of my own body and what I wear, how I express myself socially, my ethics, how the ethics align with the environment, with the cosmos with what's inherently, fundamentally right and not intellectually, um, contrivedly right, but fundamentally right, real, beautiful, true, free, flowing, healthy, natural. Um, every word of this discourse like, just opens up so many more questions and I, I see that as a like that's a good sign that's a positive sign that I'm onto something here that I I can unravel and I can I can express through myself um, and that might be useful to others it might be might go out in the world and be useful to other folk especially when I see so many people who've come into my life and out of my life who've come to me for workshops and one-on-one -on -one tutoring, mentoring, um, art classes, art residencies and retreats, um, folk that I, I've collaborated with, friends who are trying to be more creative, folk who've come on and then off our co-creation sessions that we run weekly. I've really noticed uh, how stuck folk are in their lives because the creative practice is is something that's running parallel to their life rather than coming from the core outwards there's aspects of it in their life where they're able to pour out fully but it it comes in fits and starts and it's only allowed within a certain parameter therefore the rest of their life runs not in vibrant harmony with that, but in sometimes in conflict with it. And sometimes um, there's like myriad health issues like burnout, depression, um, exhaustion. And I, I've experienced all of these things and I, I continue to experience in different moments, aspects of them whenever I reach a point where it's time to push through something, not in a an effortful way but push through something as in the force of the petals opening the bud into a blossom and it's almost always it's a pushing but it's more of a letting go than a pushing 
like allowing oneself to blossom, allowing oneself to be open, allowing oneself to receive, to be receptive, to accept, um, to accept the world as it is and allow our place to be deeply rooted magically in that place makes me think of how we we conceptualize we conceptualize flowers as this thing that is somehow it's a concept it's an object as if it isn't in fact attached to a plant which has a stem or branches and a trunk and then has a tap root down into the earth touching Gaia Sophia at a very particular direct angle mostly for the most part, a lot of plants have tap roots, um, or at least have a complex structure of connection and reciprocity, a, a, a complex structure of mycelium roots, feet on the earth, feet in the earth. Um, and that in itself, like the, the flower is an aspect of an antenna that's attached to a much bigger structure and it's really important to to be able to step back from something like the metaphor that we're using or the idea of a flower and how it's used in um poetically in lots of different ways to try and describe something because ourselves also yes we have feet and we have the soles of our feet which are usually attached to socks and shoes or tights and heels or whatever the thing is that we're wearing welly boots but we too are like the plant. The plant is metaphor for us and the flower is a metaphor for our creative force, our ability to be pollinated by and to transform into fruit or nut or seed. Um, and as, as such, like as, as our inherent nature, it doesn't happen separated from the plant. It doesn't happen separated from the planet, separated from our our heart and hearth of the home. We flourish in our lives because we're rooted in a place or we're root, rooted in our identity. We're rooted in our spirit. And the spirit, by definition, is something that is rooted upwards and downwards that has a taproot upwards and downwards into the cosmos from and to Gaia Sophia. So our capacity to fully blossom essentially does depend on place and timing, season and right alignment. It, it requires us to be fully up and down as it were not purely in the sense of physically having a straight spine or an erect position in our meditation. That's a rigid, overly masculine view. Um, meditating can be done just as beautifully lying down if the point is to connect with the energy of the earth. It's just as important to lie down. Why do you think we sleep so much <laughs> as it is to be sitting up straight and the idea to force one way as opposed to the other like sleep less get up earlier and sit up straight is that's a purely patriarchal model and it's it's an effortful way to try and attain enlightenment enlightenment 
happiness and harmony. <clears throat> and it actually is a form of taking us out of happiness and harmony, from, especially for women who need to be more tangibly connected with the earth. We have to work a little bit harder than men do to be at home on the earth. I won't go into that huge um, subject right now because I go into that in most of my podcasts, but I'll, I'll just pull back, rein back a little bit from that. I don't want to get too much into like the difference between the masculine and the feminine and how they complement each other and how we balance the masculine and feminine within ourselves. But of course, those are like enormously important elements but but also they're simply a metaphor for what many people in mainstream in a conventional life following the norms following the crowd um the mainstream crowd at least um most folk have had these aspects polemicized so it is important to talk about that but again <clears throat> part of being fully aligned in my own creative journey I feel it's really important to balance where you know there's a problem there's the solution and between the problem and the solution there's us in the reality that we're living in now there's us comprehending our past comprehending our present able to really fully view all of the resources that we have and able to discern and make right choices about what we let go of and the polemic is always trying to distract us from that. It's always pulling us one way or another. So it's really important to have this balance, like a year has the balance of four seasons or however many seasons, whatever you want to divvy it up like. But there's a certain balance of a certain amount of cold, a certain amount of heat, a certain amount of light and dark, and a certain amount of wildness and cleansing force of of storm and then the baking heat of cooking things in the summer and pulling things out and towards the sun. In our own lives too, like we have to balance all of these elements and we have to keep this healthy stability, stability in movement or movement in our stability. Um, and that's very hard to do if not impossible we're only ever going to get little glimpses of it if we're extremely distracted by what's being thrown at us and accepting what's being thrown at us as the only way or I have to take this on board or I can't just put this down and walk over here and do what I actually want to do in the world <clears throat> so yeah, coming back to like what, what I was trying to distill in the original question I was speaking to, um, it, it makes me think, you know, pleasure being really key to our enlightenment, our fulfillment, obviously our harmonious relationship with all the elements and with our lived reality on on planet earth or or Gaia Sophia um, pleasure is is not an external activity it's a a beingness and 
the way it's been siphoned off into all these different um, presumptions of contract, things that we go and buy in order to gain pleasure from something external. You know, even the, the fact of going for a massage or watching a film in a cinema or etc etc you know whatever it is that we have pleasure around um, especially if we live in a city and we associate pleasure with going out somewhere and doing something that is transmitted by an agency which is presented to us by an agency um, if we again just putting that to the side for a minute and looking at what it's the difference between surface pleasure and multi-leveled, um, multi-dimensional pleasure and the, the deepest fulfilment. There's a, a continuity of deepening and of expanding that is necessary to, to fully inhabit that and to fully inhabit our pleasureful, whole, unblocked, um, unregimented life, as it were makes me think of, of like the difference between a, a, a pornographic orgasm and versus, and of course, you know, there's no need, need for them to be in polemic. They can coexist, you know, if people want to have really crap orgasms, go for it, guys. But the difference between cosmic union with another or with oneself and with the cosmos, these are are different kinds of experience and the latter is something that will will heal expand bring pleasure into all the areas of our life bring pleasure into like longer term long-term pleasure into our connection between mind body and spirit whereas the short-term superficial satisfaction of a very tight or contracted orgasmic experience is going to leave us with a very a very different ending not just in terms of a peak orgasm but a very different ongoing effect and again I'm not going to focus too much on the polemic between the masculine and feminine and also I'm not going to go into in this particular podcast I often talk about it but I'm not going to go into the agenda of how these aspects are manipulated by culture how we're shamed early on about our genitals and our backside our, our the back of our body even and made to feel unsafe about things being behind us um, shamed about our breasts if we're feminine if we're women with wombs and breasts we are deeply deeply conditioned by the time we get to our teens and then from there on often subjected to regular gynecological abuse and doctor abuse we will naturally become our body will become more and more defensive and as such unless we do vast amounts of very intensive work um not necessarily laborious work but very consistent work um not not um i was gonna say not sweating work you know like not like struggling striving work 
but yeah, sweat might be involved or other juices might be involved, but work at at taking care of our bodies, taking care of the pleasure in our bodies, finding the pleasure in our bodies, mapping it, not not accepting the map that the doctor has given us or culture has given us or books have given us, but looking at the map of our own body, mapping it out. As I regularly mention, especially in the female body, the physiology of the female body, the vagus system, the nerve system, and the way the womb and brain are intimately interwoven, that the idea that there's a thing called the autonomous nervous system, the way it's been mapped by culture and by design, by design pharmaceutical companies and the modern, completely destructive medicalization of Oh, no, I, I don't even know how to describe this, but the the modern medical system, the pharmaceutical regime, the agenda to medicalize our health and pathologize our very existence um, means that that most of us have a map in our in our front lobe conscious, have an imprinted map which is completely inaccurate inaccurate isn't detailed, is a, a formatted thing which is completely inappropriate as a, a means of describing what our internal experiences of our own body and is specifically designed to act as a, a means of providing sort of psychological bypassing of what's really going on in the the mind body spirit cosmos and bypassing our mind to somebody else's regime essentially or construct that means that this very solid construct which is modern medicine which is hospitals doctors gynecologists interference in the body are literally it's like they might as well just be sitting there with a projector and instead of projecting and watching a film together and having a nice time the, the film is a very dark one and it's projected onto our bodies. It's a reductionist, severely limiting, limiting um, destruction of the whole and the reduction into a bunch of labels and parts that are inherently dysfunctional in their view, in their projection. And if we rest in that, if we consent to that, if we follow that and choose that to be our language, then there's a, a very, a very um, familiar discomfort trajectory that will unfold. Whereas if we pull at the edges of that map, lift it up at the edges and look at the actual terrain under the map, look at the actual body, feel the actual body and start making synaptic connections between our our mind and our feelings start reweaving the fabric of our mind body spirit cosmos instead of always referring to somebody else's map which is a complete conceptualization with a whole agenda behind it to earn money off of our not being well off of our believing in the map basically um having ripped the map up 
like pulled it up as in like ripping up a carpet um, but also ripped it up like in ripping up a piece of paper fairly early on in my life because already at 14 I was questioning why am I getting a jab why why are you giving me a jab I, I, why would I not just be I'm not ill why am I taking a jab um, it hurts. Why? Why do I need to take a painful jab? I don't want to. I don't want to, unless you can give me a really good evidence or reason why I should be taking it. Um, my instinct wasn't to just accept what people were telling me, just as it wasn't when I was six years old and I was told to chant the brownie promise to pledge to the Queen and all the rest of it. I was. I couldn't get the words out because I wasn't just consenting just because somebody told me. I. I, I was already authoring my own journey, even at the age of six and then eight and then 10 and then 14 and so on and so forth. Um, I was blessed and rich to have grown up in a wild place, in a clean wild place, on a mountainside, on an island in Scotland that allowed me to learn directly from the cosmos, essentially. There wasn't something between me and the cosmos. There wasn't interference above my head. There wasn't distraction of noise, even if we did have a TV in the house later on. For the most time, for the most, for the greater part, that wasn't as interesting as outside because I'd already begun engaging very powerfully with outside. I built things and dug holes and moved water and played with the elements and climbed trees and sawed wood and used hammers and nails and built things out of stone and, and metal and wood and turf and saw how the turf grew together again and created like you could make a, a hobbit house, a hole in the ground could turn into a magical little hiding place. And if I dig a hole down through the wall, I can make a fireplace, make a chimney in a fireplace. Um, you know, because I was able to do that, because nothing was restricting me from doing that, I didn't see the same limitations that others who had grown up more constrained by four walls might have seen. And that's something that, again, is fundamental, you know, when other folk might have been playing with dolls or been taken to the cinema again um, and having lots of screen time or watching telly. I was out there making a, an actual doll's house out of mud and sticks and, and making a house for myself out of mud and sticks. And I didn't have any inhibition or shame about that or fear. I didn't wasn't asking anyone's permission. The hillside was there for me to play freely in. I was just making installations all the time. Um, and often if I, if I was very upset about something, I would go and coody in somewhere. I would go and find, like literally make a nest, a nest somewhere and like, find a place where my back was in against the soil, against the plants, against dry grass and huddle in like in, like in a womb and be safe there. And it would somehow 
take the charge out of everything. Like literally, like an animal would go into its burrow. I would go up to the hillside and I would find there were these wonderful, very particular um, formations that went um, sort of, there was sort of peaty, boggy earth in various places and there's dry stained dikes, old walls and ridges and big stones and so on. And then there was the burn coming down, which is a waterway, a, a brook, a wee burn, a wee river coming down a steep mountainside. Uh, with nothing in its ways, so it's just eating into the this soft stone, the the bed of the river, the burn, was sandstone that in places it was like really carved into amazing forms because over the years the water had just kept running down. And so yeah, all these beautiful round pebbles and granite and sandstone that were sitting on the bed of the river and all these beautiful little pools. And at the sides of the river, the burn, at the sides of this wee waterway that in the, in the winter was quite raging, but in the summer was sometimes just a trickle. There were these sort of pathways that the banks were quite steep and high, like maybe a metre or two in places. And there were these almost like little pathways that had been dug for very small people like us when we were children to walk from the higher place down into where the water was. And it was just places where the like rivulets had come down the side of the dry stained dike, the side of a particular stone and created this little place and like a little, a little gangway going down into the river. And there were particular ones that were just the right size for my body and they were filled with hill grass in a certain season. And the hill grass, I don't know what the proper name for it is, but just like long, long strands of like a, a very, a quite long grass without seeds on it. Or at least at this part of the season, it's like very pale colour, pale yellowish, creamy colour and lovely curved shapes that they would sometimes, if you saw a little pile of grass, hill grass when it was dried and it had blown down, into a wee corner where there was bare soil like under a tree and then these would be plastered in little shapes it would look like magical writing uh, like poems that had been written by nature and these spaces that the little rivulets that when it was dry when it wasn't soaking wet they would make like such an amazing little cradle to go and just snuggle into and be safe and warm and dry and unhindered by anything that was going on in the house. And my capacity to hone into a place like that comes from the fact that my relationship with nature wasn't interfered with. So like a, a, a domestic cat that is not fully domesticated, that's allowed to go out and roam in nature, in wild nature, I would naturally just go and find a wee place to snuggle in, especially if I wasn't well, like if I was mentally perturbed by something or emotionally upside down about something, I would naturally go to this place and I would just curry in. You know, sometimes I would be there for hours and I would never quite fall asleep because I think I was no, I was too strained at that age, like all those ages <laughs> when I was young, I was, um, it was very hard for me to relax and I, even in a even in a wild safe place where I was quite hidden and nobody was going to walk past um 
way up on a mountainside and nowhere near a path, nowhere near uh, even a deer track or a foot, footpath for the hillside. Um, so I, I mostly knew I wasn't going to, anyone was going to come upon me, but I still wouldn't be so relaxed that I would sleep, but I would be in a state of deep relaxation, listening to the burn, listening to the water trickling or, or gushing. And just allow everything to, I would allow everything to become whole again. And there are still times where, like I, I listen to the wind in the grasses or here in Italy where I live, I listen to the wind in the trees. There's a couple of pine trees nearby. And sometimes if I'm near them, I, you know, just, just hearing the wind, it just reminds me of those moments of perfection, of of being taken care of by nature, of nature holding me and me being fully comfortable in the right place, ensconced, um, safe, as safe as I could be and relaxed into deep, deep connection with the root of my spine, the base of my spine and my bum, my genitals right on the earth, you know, right sat down on the earth onto the plants, on the soft plants, making a cushion for me. My back curved into the the curved earth that had been washed away by water over decades, centuries, who knows, large amounts of time. The fresh air and, I don't know, the ionised air from being blown around by the water and coming down off the the, the very, very wild and clean mountainside a very undomesticated mountain the cleanness of that air but also the smells of earth the taste of the water because of course I would always drink from the burn when I was there because that's what you do you refresh yourself you need adequate water in a day and if one is stopped by a wee burn it makes every bit of sense to lean down and cup water in one's hands or even lean down fully if one can get right down into the burn and soak up the water um, directly, which is always a really beautiful and magical thing to do. Um, and the, the effect of that water on my mind, body and spirit and cosmos, of course, was also profound because it's living water, not just clean, not just full of nutriment, like real nutriment and energy, real energy directly from nature, but also like it's cooling and hydrating qualities and the context in which it's being taken by the hands or directly from the shape of the pool, um, the holistic experience of leaning down, being connected, touching the water, knowing that it's mine. I don't have to put it in a bottle or claim it or ask permission for it. It's simply mine and it's mine in that moment because I need it and nature is providing it freely and I'm taking it freely. There's no separation, there's no conceptualisation of it. There's no, oh I need a drink of water, I shall go and get a cup and open a tap. But also just no need for the brain to dictate the body just goes to the water and drinks it because that's what it is to be holistically present and 
doing what we need to do in the world. And I'm going into all this detail as I often do. I rarely tell a short story. <laughs> but just to explain that the, those kinds of experiences when I was very small were fundamental, like deep foundations that allowed me to build a healthy life no matter what the rest of the chaos and crazy was going on and no matter what the the institutions threw at me the education system and the workplace what little I indulged in so I could always come back to that time like I was saying you know no matter where I was in the world I would feel a breeze I would hear water falling in a small river and I would I would be instantly rooted back you know talking about it here I'm coming into this deep calm and flow and again the metaphor of river and burn you know, the flow and flow of water and the cleanliness and the clarity of mind when you're drinking clean water all of these things contribute to the multidimensionality of health and fulfillment in life and when we've never known that, when our water has always come to us contrived and fiddled with and chemicalised and chlorinated or in a plastic bottle that's really bad for our hormonal balance or etc, 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 you know, very few people have access to very clean, abundant water like we do in Scotland. Um, but even even then, most folk are consent to having a water authority organise the water for them because it just seems like, oh, that's really nice. Somebody's organising my water for me. It means I don't have to go up and check the water tank every now and again or unblock the rose when there's a a, a big storm and a big rainfall. And a, a surge, a spate in the river means that all the peat comes down and blocks the, the rose, the tube with holes in it that the water goes into before it gets to the the tank um you know it's nice that I don't have to go out into nature and interact with nature that I can just stay inside the house when it's raining or wild or cold or whatever and I can just turn on the tap that seems like a really good deal seems like a great idea like a, it's really convenient isn't it you know I don't have to collect the rain in bottles and from the gutters and make sure that it's filtered properly and blah 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 but yeah there's no point in going into the the hugeness of the agenda but suffice to say that the water that we get out the tap isn't living water it's not alive water and it's very very often got lots of other things in it that are that are not what we need and want in our bodies and it doesn't leave us in a state of pure mindedness when we drink it. It doesn't leave our body in a state of cleanliness or peace when we drink it. And therefore it doesn't contribute to our harmony in the way that it fundamentally should, that in a way that water is there to do its work. Um, and as such, I'm, I'm illustrating very um, fully just in this one small metaphor which is actually a huge metaphor because water, like air, clean water and clean air, living water, these are extremely core things in our lives that have been so 
profoundly compromised. And yet we accept that and we think that it has to be like that and we think we can't do anything about it and we carry on paying a bill for our water, you know, being charged money for our water. And um, at the end of the day, it's one aspect of, of what's fiddled with in our lives that costs us greatly, not just in terms of money, attention, time and energy and our sweat equity. But yeah, it's also taking from our intelligence, from our power, from our presence in our own body even. And these things have a cumulative effect with all the other things that are going on. That becomes a problem and it becomes something that keeps tipping us over the edge and we get further and further tipped over the edge of our self, of our attention. We can't hone our attention anymore. We can't find our taproot up or down. And again, it's really frustrating to me that I have to talk about this, about what isn't working in order to explain what, what needs to work because there's so much of it, there's so much of going on in the world of what isn't working. But what we really need and what we what we really would benefit from what we would have so much pleasure in is so simple and involves so little organization so little real work um like effort and yet we still give away that authority we give away that authorship and again just coming back to what i was wanting to anchor this discourse in um, who is authoring the pleasure who's authoring the pleasure of my drinking water I really struggle with this I, I swore I would never live somewhere again after living in London in the UK the big metropolis I swore I would never live somewhere that had contrived water ever again it was just so sick making I was so ill when I was there and I was ill in my spirit, like profoundly unwell. And that wasn't just a negative thing. That helped to bring a lot of stuff to the surface that later on I was able to then work through. But I did make a decision at that point that it would be better for me to not live in a place with contrived water. And I've lived in lots of different places and rarely been able to find the quality of water that I had as a child that still flows down the hill, never stopped, rarely dries out, um, still trundling up and down the hill <laughs> into the precipitation, falling as rain excessively on the west coast of Scotland, down the hillside on the east coast of the Isle of Arran. You know, it's still unceasingly providing in immense abundance, much more than everybody in the village can drink. Just that wee burn, not even the big burn that's next to it. <laughs> Just that one wee burn. You have plenty of other burns all trundling down the hillside. That abundance, I haven't been able to find that abundance in many other places that I've lived. There's good water here, but it's kind of siphoned off here and there. It goes through workings here and there. It goes through really crappy pipes here and there. Nobody's quite sure the origins of which Ruscello or spring 
a lot of the fountains are switched off. Um, some of the fountains are labelled not non-potable water, undrinkable. Um, the water is billed and metered, and is expensive. When, in not to the average household, but certainly to someone on a extremely extremely underpaid person like an artist perhaps um but also in respect to more pertinently in in respect to what it should cost which is that's our riches that's what is abundantly available in the world from the sky falling freely um but no we're taking something piped from very far away that is supposedly in great scarcity that we have to be really careful around in the summer if we're watering a garden it becomes expensive to water a garden when how else does one grow food apart from watering a garden and there's all kinds of issues with the water and a lot of people have told me like whatever you do when you're watering the garden don't let the water get on the leaves like oh my god what is wrong with the water that you can't put it on the leaves and and that, and I don't mean in the context of like if it's sunny, obviously you don't water a garden when it's sunny. You water when the sun's lower or um gone completely off the garden. But but literally you should never get the water on the leaves, not in any situation, because it will create mischief for the leaves of plants. Again, that's a problem very easily resolved, but our attention isn't on that. Why is it not on that? Because a water authority is taking care of it for us and we haven't reached a point where we're so uncomfortable that we we would stop paying for it or stop agreeing to them being the authority that's taking care of it or actually set up a water collection system in our own house um, actually set up water filters for our grey water or black water but the discomfort is there and that's the point I want to make you know the water is a metaphor for so many things and I do have a limit here on an hour on how much I can record in my signal app note to self and um, the the only tech i've got to record it's a make do and mend way of recording podcasts lately <laughs> until i get a new appliance for recording um the water being the metaphor for all things that are to do with flow just like the flower is the metaphor for all things that blossom The balancing of elements in our lives does involve some measure of removing ourselves from somebody else authoring, just in the same way as biodynamics and the seasons. There are certain times of the year where there's more going on under the ground. Then there's times of the year where there's more going on in the stem, the leaf, the flower, the seed and so on. The heavens complement that and power that and our interaction in the garden in certain times and using our body or other structures as enhancers, as antenna 
to complement those energies, we also complement the plants that if they were just out in the wild, they would be taking a different form and they wouldn't work to our advantage. Um, the fact that we are able to study sacred geometry and see how the, the cosmos is made up of sacred geometry means that we're able to act as appropriate guardian, as sacred guardian of the elements. We're able to put ourselves between nature and the cosmos and co-create together. And that makes us alchemists and authority, makes us authors, makes us co-creators. And ultimately, without going into all these other subjects and because I do have to round up in 10 minutes, That is the the simplest metaphor until I expand some more on this subject of why and where pleasure is so important that it's authored by us and it, it can't be authored by somebody else. Pleasure is ultimately our connection with cosmos through the elements into the cosmos and our connection our interrelationship with all things via the cosmos, us as acting as conduit between things and the cosmos, physical, lower, planetary or Gaia Sophian reality and the upper reality. And the pleasure in that is the being in the right time in the right season, working with the elements and not against them and feeling their power, feeling them through, uh, through us, feeling the power of wind and a burn water, the warmth of the earth against our back or under our bum, the strength of the stone beneath our feet, all the different aspects of from thorn to petal to wooden planks to the softness of a cat's head. We can always, because of the nature of the construct that we live in, we can always take more of the construct apart and find more pleasure, more fulfilment, more connectedness and flow, more right moment and right season. We can always settle back more into right moment and right season. And we don't have to even go fully out into the wildness of nature to do that. Um, we don't have to be in a place that has a really comfortable little nook for us to snuggle into up the mountainside that has a mountainside. Um, we can find 
that nature in all things, especially in things that we're doing spontaneously and intuitively and without imposed structure or deadline or um, format, I suppose, um, contrived, contracted ideas, concepts, whatever mediums we love to work with, which most people, once they get going, pretty much love to work with all elements and all mediums. It's just a matter of starting at least with one and being a creator rather than a passive consumer of things, being someone who weaves and brushes and digs and cuts and hammers and stitches. Someone who strokes and, and milks and irons and constructs naturally. Being a creator can be everything from gestating a child to dreaming at night to speed writing or even writing slowly to podcasting to knitting to cooking to making a sandwich and the more we really carve out for ourselves our own specific language our own unique language and our own very natural, the more we let ourselves just fall into what wants to come from our hands, um, what makes our heart feel full, what calms us, what makes us feel safe and like we've said what we wanted to say, what fulfills us in terms of how we go out in the world, how I feel when I wear my own clothes for example, that I've knitted and sewn, how the things that we make connect us to others. This to me is being the author of our pleasure and leads to a, a profoundly more symbiotic life, a profoundly more connected and interconnected, yes, yeah, symbiotic life. A life of vibrant health and no burnout, just resting when we need to rest. You know, literally lying down when we feel I need to lie down, standing up when we want to stretch. Um, sitting quietly when we need to be quiet, having a long discussion when we need to talk. Um, yeah, it's obvious that the world isn't set up for that. But hey-ho, we're not here to just keep the mechanical world trundling along when it's all falling apart and cogs all clashing with each other. We're here to weave the fabric of the world again and weave it beautifully and weave it healthily and weave it fairly and harmoniously and easily, effortlessly 
and that comes through organic alchemical transformation which is just us being exactly where we're meant to be and following the signs to the next place um, I'm realising as I'm winding up this podcast that there's just so much more I want to share here like just infinite amounts of what I want to share uh, so <laughs> and it's actually quite difficult to draw it out so I'll probably do another podcast around this but again in the vitality of my own expression and what I'm called to I do follow my pleasure and it's not a frivolous indulgent egotistical based pleasure it's not a superficial um selfish and short-sighted pleasure it's a very panoramic pleasure that involves my relationship with all things which means that I will podcast what I podcast when I podcast it essentially it's not always easy to put it under a a, a list of episodes under a, a label of a, a series um, although I am roughly speaking to what on earth is going on in the world right now and I'll talk more about this and maybe more in the next podcast about you know how how we actually can take back our pleasure but really it's it's unique for everyone and it involves discipline and effort but equally it's effortless and it will come to us as we make space for it and we ask it to um, and at the same time there's a, a huge complexity around how we unlock our creative power which is one of the reasons I'm here in the world to to facilitate that and to support that and others where they're blocked, where they need some divine cosmos whispering and some support and just to be heard and witnessed in what they're stuck with. Mm. If you want to connect more, you know where to find me, clairegaiasophia.com and probably other links under this podcast, wherever you find it. Goodness knows where it goes when it goes out into the, the internetosphere. But I'm on hive.blog, thehivepeaked.com, as at Claire Artista. And my website and Patreon are Claire Gaia Sophia. And that's me, Claire. I love you and I transmit all merit gained to you, radiate all healing and learning outwards to us all and huge blessings on this solstice, huge beautiful blessings on this solstice, may we ride with the cosmic wave and may we all be the better for the much better for every day that we're alive. I love you. Ciao.